It's time to eat. Get in my belly! Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Ross Tucker and Evan Silva. Me so hungry. On the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby! It is the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast, the one that you guys know and love. And if you're new, you should know this is the best fantasy football podcast out there. Number one, I think it might be the only fantasy football podcast with a former player. I might be wrong on that. If I am, you can feel free to correct me. It's definitely the only one that has a former player. And Evan Silva, the best fantasy analyst, expert, guru in the business. Check him out on Twitter, at Evan Silva, like I do. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL. You can make sure you catch all of the shows. Not just Fantasy Feast, but the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. If you like gambling, even money podcast. If you like the draft, the college draft is awesome podcast. If you like the business side of the NFL, the business of sports with Andrew Brandt is awesome. Give at least one of those a try if you haven't already. We're presented by betonline.ag, the online gaming website of choice for the Fantasy Feast podcast because... It has the best odds, they have the fastest payouts, and you can use code BIGFEAST to get a terrific deal at betonline.ag. Speaking of a good deal, what a good deal we got today with our guest, Todd Burroughs. He's MFL Todd, he's Best Ball Todd, on Twitter he's at Todd from PA, T-O-D, just one D for Todd. He's been a listener. He's a tuckhead, which is incredible. And he's turned into one heck of a fantasy analyst, Evan. Always love talking to our buddy Todd. Let's dive in. Next meal. All right. Well, as promised, we are joined by my good buddy on so many levels, uh, Todd from PA on Twitter, if you want to check him out, which you should, at Todd from PA, MFL Todd. I love it. He's a best ball guy, which is what we've been talking about a lot the last couple months. Good time to have you on. Todd, as always, man, thanks for joining the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. So, Todd, you used to call SiriusXM. I remember talking to you there, and obviously you listen to the podcast, and you've commented on twitter and now every once in a while we communicate uh over at tuckheads you are an official tuckhead over at tuckheads.com which i love i love when you uh you have good posts man when you're on there i I appreciate that ross you know i'm very proud of a lot of things in my life that i've accomplished but being a founding member at tuckheads is definitely right up there and for anyone who doesn't know tuckheads is uh ross's message board if you ever wanted access to a NFL analyst or player's thoughts, um, Ross is in there all the time answering questions, engaging all of us. It's really cool and uh, definitely worth it. So I know Evan's going to have a lot of questions for you, Todd. So I'm going to hand it off soon. I I guess I want to just talk strategy. I know we had you on a year ago, but I think our beliefs change with every year of experience we get under our belt. So I kind of ask everybody this, but especially specifically you in terms of best ball, what about last year? What, what philosophy do you now have or, or what 
are you thinking and what have you changed based on how the events of, of last season unfolded? Well, you know, Ross, if you're not learning, you're dying, I guess, is a way of looking at it. Um, certain views, I would say, on how I pick quarterbacks uh, have matured. And, you know, uh, I'm also always constantly looking to learn. And I know that, uh, you know, I'm hoping to learn more this year. But I would say that I had a really good year, and I think the foundational things that I did were successful. So I'm always looking to tweak my process and to to look at myself and find flaws and try and improve on them. Uh, the biggest one, I think, has to do with roster construction. Last year, you know, I, I've always valued roster construction, but in looking at my winning lineups last year, it was really amazing how... Uh, ones that got away from one or two key uh, constructions had less win rates than others. So uh, that would be the best way I think I could answer that question. All right. And then what about, you know, free agency the last couple weeks? I'm just curious as to which moves you think will have the most significant impact on certain players, whether it's guys that signed elsewhere or guys that were already on a team but just kind of got bumped out or got hurt by a guy coming in? Well, the thing that I always, you know, because I'm a best ball guy, I'm always looking at moves in terms of average draft position or ADP. So I'm not looking for the move as much as how everyone is reacting to the move and looking for people that are overrated or underrated. I was in a draft recently where Dion Lewis and Derrick Henry both went in the third round. I, I mean, I, I think from a put, football perspective, Dion Lewis going there is good for the Titans, but, but I can't draft either one of them in the third round. Um, and, and the opposite of that, somebody who I'm really high on is Sammy Watkins. I think people are underestimating just how having him and Tyreek Hill in the same lineup is going to put pressure on defenses. And Sammy Watkins is a guy who got 1,000 yards and only 60 carries. Last year, Jared Goff just didn't have the arm. It wasn't what Jared Goff is good at, throwing the deep ball. And now he goes to Kansas City where Pat Mahomes has just a cannon and the ability to move around in the pocket. Uh, I'm buying Sammy Watkins in the sixth or seventh round where I'm finding him after free agency. Awesome. Evan, I'll let you have it, man. Yeah, that's interesting. I know that you are primarily playing on my fantasy or on a uh, fan ball, the, the fan ball uh, MFL tens right now. And it sounds like Watkins going sixth, seventh round. He goes like ninth round on draft where I've been primarily playing. Yeah. Draft is a, uh, a half PPR, so you're always going to move the running backs right. up a round or two. And, um, you know, I write for Fanball, and I do a podcast for them weekly. So, And it's what I'm most used to, uh, point, you know, PPR. So I, I don't like to mix it too much. I'll play some draft this year. It's a great format. I'm really high on what – and they're, they're making headway. But, you know, most of my business is going to be on Fanball. And I'm, I love the new interface they've got. Uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, I would recommend it. Awesome. So what was your 2017 return on investment in best ball leagues? What was your win rate in best ball leagues? Uh, 
between you know uh, MFL and FFPC, I won just a hair under twenty percent. My ROI overall was ninety-two percent over one hundred and sixty-seven leagues. And, you know, when I was on last year, I was honest. I was a guy who was almost profitable two years in a row, which means I lost money. So to go from being under to pretty much doubling my my money was really, really very gratifying. And the other thing that really, you know, sometimes in life, it's the little things that give you a kick. I only finished in the back half of drafts, meaning positions seven through 12 in 23% of my drafts, which means 76% of the time, 77% of the time I was in the top six, which makes me think, you know, that I really had a pretty good year. That's excellent. That's excellent. Um, You have to understand that in a 12-team league, your expected win rate is like 8%. So you going to 20 or maybe even above that, that's ridiculous. You know, I had a, um, about a 15% win rate in MFL 10s last year, and I felt great about that. So you should feel especially good, especially because you worked so hard and just, you know, we're, we're just right around breaking even the previous two years, and then you just crushed it, you know, learning from your mistakes and getting better, and that's really, really impressive. So great job, Todd. What are some of the minor details – that people might overlook, you think, uh, regarding roster construction? Well, what I did and what we talked about last year when I was on the feast is to understand that the nature of best ball leagues and how they're different from season-long leagues where you have the ability to change your roster in season. Keep in mind, I'm a pretty strict tier drafter. In fact, you guys have ruined the term tier for me because every time I hear it now, I hear the Clapton song with Tears of Evan. Um, but I'm never going to, I'm never going to chase these things that I'm going to mention at the expense of picking quality players, but I use them as tiebreakers. So bye weeks is one. I never care too much about them in season long because I could always pick someone up, but, um, because the points in MFLs are cumulative, you never want to take a zero, um, I also am very cognizant of I I consider it like mixing a good drink. You want to have risk in every drink, but you don't want it to overpower the drink. So I'm, I'm, I'm very cognizant of the different types of risk and building risk into my teams, but not having teams that are too fragile from risk. And the last one that I think is a no brainer is I kind of had an epiphany last year that Best ball leagues are a lot like daily fantasy in that you get rewarded for having the high-end scores. So I've started using stacking, which is if you play daily fantasy, just an established tactic to as a tiebreaker. So when I go to pick my quarterbacks in the ninth to the 12th round, I look at my wide receivers and tight ends already on my roster. And if I have two or three quarterbacks rated about the same, I'll look to pair them with someone that's already on my team to stack. And I had really good success. A lot of my winning teams had stacks last year. Um, Not all my drafts do because I won't force it. And then later in drafts, like last year, if I had Tom Brady, it was a no-brainer to add Chris Hogan late. And you just kind of supercharge, I feel, your rosters a little bit when you 
you know, do the little blocking and tackling things that I just mentioned. Love it. I think that one of my favorite quarterback, uh, like pass catcher stacks so far is uh, just Mariota because he goes later than I think that he should. Um, I, I'm expecting a leap forward this year from him with Delaney Walker or Rashard Matthews, and I'm fine with Corey Davis too. Um, I mean, he's a definite breakout candidate, and sometimes he goes in a good spot in the draft. Uh, but I really like where Delaney goes. Um, and Rashard Matthews is just dirt cheap right now, and I think that he's going to play that uh, that Robert Woods role in uh, under Matt LaFleur, the ex-Rams OC. Um, when you're doing best ball drafts, are, are, do you try to hammer certain players and really – uh, go hard on certain players. This is a tactic that I took uh, last year with, with like Deshaun Jackson, Adam Thielen, and Marvin Jones. It did not work with Deshaun Jackson. It really worked with Adam Thielen and Marvin Jones. Uh, but it's it, it seems like it's higher variance. Is that an approach that, that you take, like go, going really high volume on a specific player? Well, it's, it's real interesting because the year before I pounded players and wasn't profitable. And last year I decided I was going to do this, you know, mixing guys up within a tier, people that I have rated very closely. You got to keep in mind, just like you said, you know, 8.5% is break even. It's also break even, even weight on owning a player. I didn't end up with more than 23% on any player last year. Not necessarily because I went out of my way to say that that's what I'm going to do, but it just happened naturally. And it gave me, you know, and that's three times, 23% is three, you know, right around three times even weight. So you can be very successful there. I'm not against doing it, especially later in drafts. It just always seems that I've got about three guys I like about the same and with the NFL having so many injuries, why not have 20% of three of those guys instead of having one guy with 40 and two guys with 10? Yeah, and you mentioned before, and you've mentioned in um, previously, the concept of supercharging your roster. Uh, what exactly do you mean by that? Can you expand on that concept? Um, supercharging the way that you are drafting a best ball roster. Well, I already laid out a couple of those ways. I do feel like stacking and, you know, bye weeks, uh, supercharge. But also, I did a lot of study last year on win rates. And I, I noticed that there were certain discrepancies when you talk about win rates. One is that, you know, first of all, realize that certain positions have higher win rates every year than others. Quarterback and tight ends rarely get above 15 percent. But every year that uh, running backs and wide receivers are, you know, you get a handful of guys in the 20s and 30s. So what I noticed as I was studying was certain things didn't make sense. Like Lev Bell and MFLs last year had a 20 percent win rate. And Melvin Gordon had a 7% win rate. Well, I mean, Bell had a better year than Gordon, but Gordon was a very good player. And what I noticed was over the last two years, there are these players who get supercharged win rates. And it has a lot to do with how they get paired. So if you drafted Lev Bell or Antonio Brown, who both ended up with 20% uh, win rates last year, 
you were in a perfect position to draft Todd Gurley and DeAndre Hopkins, guys who crushed ADP in the end of the second round. And I think it was that combination that supercharged. So what I'm doing this year is, you know, I, it would be real easy for someone to say, well, how are you going to predict that? Well, I think there are some things you can predict. Todd Gurley and DeAndre Hopkins were super talented guys who had been first round picks the year before, but had an off year due to certain things that were beyond their control, especially Hopkins with the quarterback play. So I think you can look for players who fit that profile of being really talented guys coming off a, ba a bad year look at why they had the bad year and if you think there's a reasonable chance that their their talent could win out and then try and pair them with your first round pick yeah um and speaking of a guy that might fit that profile would be mike evans you know only scored five touchdowns last year he's a guy who i love to stack with Jameis winston uh because winston goes fairly late in drafts like in that quarterback 15 to quarterback uh 18 19 range uh and then mike evans i mean on draft in the, in the third he's there in the third round like routinely um yeah my, my guess in nfl tends that he at least goes in the second uh but maybe in the mid to later second that's exactly where Evans is going, and him and A.J. Green, who's another guy who fits the profile. Both of them have been first-round picks the last couple of years. They, you know, uh, I like the Cincinnati. You want to talk about late. You, I got Andy Dalton in like the 15th or 16th round um, in one draft, and uh, A.J. Green obviously is super talented. That t See, there's where I can tell myself a story. That offensive line last year was horrendous, and it caused a lot of problems throughout the whole offense. If if they can, and they've already traded for Cordy Glenn, who if he can stay healthy is a huge upgrade. If they fix that line a little bit better, I think AJ Green is a great guy. Another great stack is to mix in is Andrew Luck, who you know he he's a fourth round, fifth round value going in the twelfth round because of all the uncertainty about his arm. But if he plays, he's going to take T.Y. Hilton, who's a third round pick and and going to really put him back, you know, near that end of the first beginning of the second round discussion as, as far as points. So I like the T.Y. Hilton luck combo as well. That's interesting. When you're looking specifically at the quarterback position, um, are the win rates lower or number one and number two? What is the like the profile of a quarterback that has a higher win rate? Uh, you know, because I, I think that Andy Dalton. I mean, in terms of like value, he is a great great player. I mean, he has job security. You kind of know what you're going to get from him. Um, he now, but he he has had some seasons where he's produced at like in that top five range. He had one top five season. Uh, and then he had a, another one that was shortened by injury where he was top five in points per game. Those are were a few years removed from that at, at this point. But um, he doesn't necessarily fit that profile of a, of a high win rate quarterback. What do you think that is the profile of a high win rate quarterback? Yeah, that was interesting. I was doing a weekly MFL um, 
best ball article for Rotoviz last year in season. And I was comparing weekly tiers of scoring to overall win percentage. And I noticed some things, again, weren't making sense to me. I'd always assumed that if two players scored about the same amount of points uh, during the season and one was drafted five to seven rounds later, he would have a better winning percentage than the guy who was drafted earlier. But I wasn't seeing that. When Carson Wentz, who was drafted in the 13th round, got hurt, his winning percentage was like 13%, while at the time, Russell Wilson was at 19%, and he had been drafted in the 6th, 7th round. And Cam Newton had the second best win rate, even though he had less fantasy points and was drafted much later than Alex Smith. So I looked into it, and both Wilson and Newton had a few boom weeks over 30 points and a few bust weeks. If you study J.J. Zacharyson's late-round QB theory, you know that quarterback scoring tends to be flatter than other positions. So I think it's all the more important to try and get one of your two quarterbacks to be a guy who profiles boom or bust and mix him with a guy like Dalton or a guy like uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, who I think is going to be pretty consistent. Or, you know, so I, I like the idea of mixing one boom and bust quarterback so that during the bust weeks, the second quarterback, if he gives you 15 to 18 points, he's not hurting you. And then if you can put some of those 30 point weeks up, I really think that's what was driving the high winning percentage for Wilson and Newton last year. Now, I know that you've read Warren Buffett uh, and you try to apply some of the principles that he has set forth um, in the financial world and you try to apply that to uh, the way that you approach these best ball drafts. In what way do you try to do that? Well, you know, Warren Buffett, the way he buys is uh, he's a contrarian. And when you say contrarian, that means buying distressed assets. Uh, but what Warren Buffett just doesn't buy a stock because it's down. He buys good companies that are down because of short-term bad news. And and what how that I relate that to fantasy football is, uh, well, in the Warren Buffett uh, ex- famous example, in the 80s when New Coke came out, it crushed the price of Coca-Cola. But Buffett knew that they still had the recipe for old Coke. And as soon as they went back to it, the stock went through the roof. Uh, The way I compare that in the NFL is, again, it's it's the same conversation we had about Gurley and Hopkins last year. Their talent is the durable asset that Warren Buffett would look for. So throughout my drafts, I'm looking for guys who – whose ADP is down a bit because of being having a, a bad off season, or maybe you know they're they're in a situation where there's three or four guys at a, in a wide receiver core, so that pushes their value down because you don't know if they're going to get the opportunity. And what I look for is an ADP where I can reasonably expect them to pay off their floor. And then if something happens, and let's say, you know, a perfect example this year is Tyrell Williams. Very talented, it's proven that he has the talent, but Mike Williams is there, Keenan Allen's there, Hunter Henry's there. I think Williams can pay off a 13th to 15th round draft slot without anything changing. But if, let's say, Keenan Allen has another injury, now... Tyrell Williams can kill it for you. So that's kind of how I apply the Warren Buffett rule. 
I'm looking for talented players who can pay off their ADP without anything changing. Mm-hmm. But if something does change, they can crush ADP for you. Yeah, one of the guys that I like in, in that same conversation is Tyler Lockett, uh, who no one wants to draft. Uh, and, I mean, you can literally get him in the last round on, on draft. And we know that he's super talented, you know, um, a guy that the, the Seahawks traded up to draft uh, at the top of the third round. Uh, he has been like a prolific uh, guy with the ball in his hands on in the return game. Last year, he wasn't full speed. You, you know, he was coming back from that uh, that injury that occurred like on Christmas the, the previous year. It was a broke his leg, uh, and he wasn't full speed last year. But we, we know that he does have the talent, and the opportunity looks really good right now on paper with no Jimmy Graham, no Paul Richardson. Tyler Lockett's kind of locked in uh, as a starter uh, at this point in time. They're the receiver. One thing people want to understand, too, about this receiver class in the draft may, may not affect uh, placement on the depth chart that is already in place uh, because the wide receiver class is so weak. Yeah, uh, I was so, uh, yeah. I was watching some tape on wide receivers and even some of the guys that people are touting, and right. I'm just not seeing it. I mean, not, you know, I'm not the tape watcher. Some of them are. But historically, wide receivers don't do well the first year anyway. Right. And and you need that, you know, you really need the, the one guy that, that I think in the right spot who could, you know, because of his short area quickness who could play well in year one is uh, is Ridley. I, I think you put him on a team where, the, you know, they have the right West Coast scheme where his ability to make short area cuts. Um, I think he's a guy who... I would have some interest in, but I don't love his ADP right now. Um, I love the Tyler Lockett call. I'll throw out John Brown as another guy uh, going to Baltimore. Um, Yeah, he needs to stay healthy, but you can get him in the 18th round. Corey Coleman, who was the first round pick a couple years ago, is almost free in best ball drafts. Uh, I love the Lockett call, and those are a couple other names I'll throw out there. Excellent. I got two more for you. So I know that your primary focus is trying to identify guys who are going to crush their ADP and you try to pay, pay a little bit less attention to position specific roster construction. Like, you know, am I going to abide by the same, uh, you know, formula in every draft, two quarterbacks, five running backs, seven wide receivers, you know, three tight ends, three defenses or whatever. Um, do you think that roster construction like that, like adhering to a specific roster construction, uh, position specific roster construction, do you think that that can be overrated? Or do you, I mean, what are your just general thoughts on, you know, uh, like position allocation in terms of roster construction? I, I don't think it's overrated, but I think once you get the basics down of it, Mm-hmm. You, 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 you know, you know it. Mike uh, Beers, who's done uh, a tremendous amount of study on the subject, um, he started something called the Best Ball Command Center, which is a Slack channel that, that I'm in. Uh, he was talking about uh, guardrails. Roster construction is like guardrails. I compare it to if you let a dog out in the backyard and you have an electric fence, you really don't care where within 
those realms the dog goes as long as he doesn't get out of the yard. So I think roster construction is really important, um, but it's something that's real easy to, to learn. And it seems because it's easier to study, we get a lot of articles on it where I think it can be overrated is the fact that you shouldn't stop there because how you really win best ball leagues is adhering to roster construction. And if you look historically, the difference between two quarterbacks and three quarterbacks in any given year or five and, and, and you know, five, uh, six, uh, seven wide receivers and eight or two or three tight ends or two or three defenses, it's less than one percent. That's not nothing, but it's not enough to win a best ball league on its own. In my opinion, you also need to draft good players. So I'm going to be spending a lot more of my time looking you know, we talked about win rates. Todd Gurley won 30% last year. Every year there's, you know, a few guys in the 20s um, where average is 8.5. I'd rather spend more of my time trying to identify and help me to narrow the criteria of who might give me that 10 to 15% advantage once I get the basics of roster construction down. That makes a ton of sense. All right, last one. Just talking about defenses, um, in the MFL 10s, I've historically stuck strictly to drafting three defenses. I know that mo- most people would prefer to draft two. What are your thoughts on that? And are there any characteristics that you look for specifically when targeting specific defenses? Those are two separate um, and, and both important questions. So I'd always been a 3D guy like you. And then last year, I went 2D. And my my two most successful roster constructions last year, by far, were two quarterbacks, five or six running backs, seven wide receivers, three tight ends, and two or three defenses. And what I found is that if I found a running back in the 15th, 16th round I really liked, like Chris Thompson or Rex Burkhead, who I really had a, a, a thought had a chance, you know, to do that Warren Buffett thing, um, that that was my highest win rate at 24%, having a sixth running back, which isn't necessarily the most ideal. It had a it had uh, it had an 8.8 win rate last year versus uh, right 9.8 on uh, five with three defenses. So I think, you, you know, three defenses is fine. Two defenses is fine. Realize there's a 1% difference between them. But where I think there's a big opportunity with defense is most of the, the wisdom of the crowd on defenses is don't draft them late uh, early which is 100% true. I'll never draft the defense before the middle to end of the 16th. And most drafts, I start taking one in the 17th. Um, And that defenses are too volatile. So you shouldn't really, you know, even the guys who are really good at numbers say, "Ah, it's so volatile, I don't spend any time on it. So I did an article last year for Football Diehards where I did some study And in studying, I found out that over the last three years, right around 55% of the 20-point weeks, which you know are gold, Evan, um, for defenses, uh, 55% of the 20-point weeks were, were all had by the top six defenses. So I studied those teams to try and find some some 
points, and one of them was that on average they won 10 games. So, yeah, there's volatility year to year, but you can look at teams that won not a lot of games the year before that have a good chance of winning more the following year. So looking at winning teams is one way. And then the other way, you know, in that article, I picked the Jaguars last year as a team that had added a ton of assets to their defense, yes. but it didn't happen for them. The, the You know, they were the hot defense in 2016 and disappointed. Yep. But And I said that all the factors that led us to be on them the year before were still there. And then the other thing that I really try and look at is defensive coordinators. If you think about it, if Bill, you know, if football teams were stocks and, you know, Bill Belichick went to a different team tomorrow, how much of that stock would you want to buy? A lot of it. Well, it's the same thing with defensive coordinators. In that article last year, I said Wade Phillips going to the Rams was another opportunity where he's always had really good scoring defenses. So, yeah, defense is volatile. But I think just giving up and taking whatever defense is not the ideal strategy. I'm going to look to narrow it down and find, you know, try and narrow it down to make ed- more educated guesses. Todd, that was fantastic, man. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's unbelievable that I used to think of you as just a listener, and now you're a dude that clearly knows more about me. <laughs> And a lot of this stuff. Maybe that's the power of being an official tuckhead, which is why you're awesome and cooler than a lot of people listening and you're writing for Fanball and you're a good follow on Twitter, at Todd from PA. Thanks so much again, man. That was great. Thanks, guys. That was a pretty awesome conversation, Evan. That'll do it for this week. We got it all in there with my buddy Todd the Tuckhead. Maybe that should be his thing. Not MFL Todd, not Best Ball Todd. How about Todd the Tuckhead? I like that. That's the type of people, by the way, that you can interact with over at Tuckheads.com. Me, Fran from the College Draft, Steve Fezzik from Even Money. I'm on there all the time uh, chatting back and forth with the Tuckhead. So if you haven't given it a try even for just a month, go to Tuckheads.com. Really think you guys will enjoy it. That'll do it for this week's Fantasy Feast. If you ever want to ask Evan a question, you know how easy it is to do. Just take advantage of any of our sponsors, True Car or BetOnline.ag. Forward it to me, Ross at RossTucker.com. I guarantee I will read it on the air and Evan will respond. We also love those of you that give us the retweets or the likes on Twitter and Facebook. That's huge for us as we try to grow. We're not one of these big major corporation deals. iTunes rankings are big too. Right when you're done, if you can just give us those five stars. It's not even called iTunes anymore, is it, Bri? Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, evidently. And you don't ever hear that voice on this show. So if you only listen to this show and you don't listen to the other, the other shows at RossTucker.com, number one, what are you doing? You're missing out. Number two, that's Brian who is the best producer in the business. His Twitter handle is at RTF Podcast. Other than that, you guys know Amazon's probably the easiest way to take advantage of one of our sponsors and then be able to ask Evan a question. Right now, though, I'm totally stuffed. I think we're done here. 
Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Even Money, and the College Draft Podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found. All right, Pry, I got some useful tips for your car that you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. Removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage. And you can place your key fob to your chin to increase its range. Weird, right? Well, here's another tip you also might not know about. TrueCar also helps people get used cars. That's right. TrueCar isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with TrueCar, users can see what others paid, so they know if they're getting a good deal before buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with TrueCar certified dealers. When you're ready... To buy a new or used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states.